Hi, welcome to season three of the Pictures Out There podcast series, chat number eight. Success, desperation, the Thai cave rescue, the Montana court decision on climate change, the fishing dispute in a Georgia neighborhood, a retirement home for American politicians, George Bernard Shaw, Franz Kafka, and more. And now, here's Dave and Lee. Well, thank you, Candy, very much for that kind introduction. This is Lee. And this is Dave. And welcome back to our Pictures Out There podcast series. We would like to welcome our present-day audience. Hi, hi, hi. Here in the year 2023. Hey, hopefully, audiences years, decades, and centuries from now. We know you're there. Our current and presumably future advanced intelligence audience. Hello. How about our future alien audience? So we'll just wrap that all up in our (laughs) universal audience. This is chat number eight in our third season. We are glad to have you listening. Thanks for joining us. We begin. We're at the quarter mark. Yeah. Eight eight out of 32. I didn't think about that. Okay. We're like, we finished the first lap of the four by 400. We like to begin by asking these two questions for your reflection. What are your ideals? And what are your pictures? To get us starting right out of the gate, we have one of the life tools for the journey that we've talked about before, having a great life balance. And one of the things that we've talked about is having balance between pride and humility, as an example. Mm -hmm. We certainly need to be self-aware of our unique mix of gifts and talents. We've talked about that. We we have them. And the blend that we each have is very unique. That's a good thing to be self-aware of that. But then, ah. What happens when we're actually successful, quote unquote, Mm. at something? Hmm. How do we manage the problems created by success or public success that we have? And you might go, wait a minute, problems? Yeah, with success. With success, does success cause a problem? Oh, you're going to take the enjoyment out of it. (laughs) I'm riding high here. I'm successful. I'm no longer trying to succeed. Yeah, yeah. Well, how about this question? How do we manage the potential for the inflation of our egos that may occur and the tendency we may have to lift ourselves above other people? Ooh, Lee, that question makes me think about Oscar speeches. The cliche of, I want to thank all the little people that made this possible. (laughs) Yes. And, And the efforts that people go to while they are glowing on stage, try to acknowledge that other people have been a part of that. And I think the there'll be different sports successes and where people will kind of go, it's the team, it's the team, it's the team. And that really is an important thing to do. Yes. Because nobody does anything yeah. by themselves, right? Right. Right. Then how do we go about balancing self-confidence and humility? We have to stay in the we. And we have to, I think, immediately go, what's next? Lee, it's always interesting to me. Mm-hmm. You'll sometimes have... Uh, going to entertainment again, you'll have musicians and people will say, you know, do you go back and listen to your old albums that you've done? Right. Or actors will be told, you know, do you go back and watch your old movies? And lots of times they will go, no, hmm. I, I made it 
I put it out there and then I went on. Yeah, that was then. That was then. I'm on to the next I'm thing. I'm on to the next thing. I appreciate and I'm grateful for the success I enjoyed. Yeah. But the motivation and the stimulation going forward is the next thing. So how do we continue to share power when there may be people ready to give us more power oh. and expecting that we will just very gladly take it based on our success? Oh, I did well. You yes. want to give me more power and oh, authority. Thank you. I accept that. I, I, gladly, I gladly accept that. And if you want to give me more in the future, I will be happy to have even more. Yeah. yeah and I think we would say, given our model that we have, of, well, what does a great leader do? Well, they share leadership. What does somebody in power do that's a good leader? They share power. Share power, yeah. And so if somebody, say, in a job setting or something like that, puts you in a bigger role, mm-hmm then that's cool. Yes. That's it's great. A, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. Right. That's wonderful to go do. You immediately, though, start thinking about who's on my team? Who's in the organization? I now have this expanded role. How can I start divvying up even more accountability and power and leadership to right. the people? Yeah, right. If we wake up one day and humility and self-confidence feel out of balance, maybe we're enjoying the new power a bit too much. And we're looking for more rather than resharing it. So we think that's that's kind of a, a good way to catch yourself. It's a good flagging system. Yes. Maybe we're enjoying new money and material benefits too much and looking for more rather than resharing it. And how do we deal with that problem? And we would say, you know, you just start sharing. If we haven't been sharing enough and we have this issue come up that's that's an internal conflict for us, Go share more. Yeah. yeah. Go share more. And that's a pretty quick fix. Yeah. yeah. So let's be clear here. We're not success haters. No. Okay. No. We're not anti-success. Uh-uh. I think the key point here is strive for success and once achieved, appreciate it. Absolutely. Deeply. But your next move is to figure out how you can share that. Yeah. Whatever we, comes with that success. Lee, I would say this is, as we've talked about different issues where we're looking for a balance in life, I think this is one of the hardest ones. It is. It's really tricky because we do want success. And lots of times we're part of a team. Yes. And it's great. So we're doing things with other people and we want to feel that success. And we got the result. We met the goal and all of that. And trying to make sure that that doesn't turn into something negative instead of staying positive. That is hard. Very hard. So let's turn our attention to a tool we've talked about in the past, which is fear to courage to love. Fear to courage to love. Conversely to success, desperation Mm. is an extreme fear. Being desperate is very different than, hey, things are hard. So how do we recognize desperation in ourselves? I have certainly had at least a couple of times in my life where, particularly looking back, I would say I was desperate. The feeling I had in those circumstances is different than, boy, things are tough. Yes. You find yourself, or at least I did, I'll make it very personal. I mean, you find yourself looking at options that if you think about it or you reflect on it, you go, that's out of bounds Mm -hmm. for my ideals. Yes. That's not what I'm about, but I'm desperate. And you hopefully pull back. Mm Mm-hmm from those and wake up a little bit and go, no, that's not who I am. I'm not going to go do that. There has to be other ways. Mm -hmm. That notion of feeling desperate, I have tried to remember that Mm -hmm. because there are desperate people and there's a lot of us who have desperate times. Yes. And so, uh, you know, the ability to, at that point in time, then ask the question, I guess, how we, how do we then go handle and deal 
with that desperation when we find it in ourselves. The big thing I would say is, well, you, you get help. You Absolutely. Seek, you seek help. Step number one, ask for help. Ask for help. Yeah. And that can look any number of ways. That can be friends, family, professional help, right? a support group, anything. Yes. You go out and find it. So in myself, I know that I'm in a state of desperation when it's no longer just an annoyance. It's no longer just a low level of irritation. It's no longer just a, oh, there's something on my mind. It's a feeling of being overwhelmed. Yeah. And when I tiptoe into that feeling of overwhelmness, it's so difficult to say, I need help here. Yeah. I need to figure out a way. There's got to be a door that's going to lead me out of this. Who or what can provide that door and open that door? And we've talked about that ideal of help being both giving help and receiving, and receiving. help. Yes. And so if you don't have that ideal down right. already, then it's like, oh, I can't go ask for help. Right. That's a sign of weakness. Yep. So I'll make my desperation worse by removing any kind of options mm-hmm. that involve other people. And I just have to dig out of this huge hole myself. Yeah. Well, that that's really difficult. That's dangerous territory. It is. Yeah. It is. So, so how do we recognize desperation in others, do you suppose? And how do we deal with others when they are in desperate circumstances? Is it, is it just that extra paying attention? I think it is. And telling someone who you think may be in a desperate moment, uh, I can help you if you want my help. Yeah. 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 Uh, how, how, how are how you are really? You? Yes. How are you really? Right. Yeah. And setting aside that next thing you have to do to take extra time and, and minutes with someone to make sure they're okay. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think lots of times then you also have the challenge of if the person says, well, I need help. Then there gets to be the challenge of, well, what's the best kind of help for them to get? Right. And sometimes it can be if you're somebody's friend, I think it's hard to kind of say sometimes, well, it may not be me. Mm-hmm. Let me listen to you. It may be something where you actually need to talk to a professional or, or maybe I can help you. Yes. Maybe this is just a friend situation. Yeah. yeah. So there's always the wisdom at that point in time to try to make sure that the right kind of help is being given, isn't it? Yeah, I you think know. so. Lock onto your value system. Mm-hmm. That's you. Revisit what your core values are. This will help you get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to dovetail here a little bit off of this and talk about fears and the fear of equality. We've talked about yeah, the, the fear the, of equality, the equalist movement. Yeah. So we're going to combine fear and, and the equalist movement, all equality right. for all. all and, right. and we're going to say, in some cases, there is a fear of equality, fear of being equal with others, equal in value, worth, and rights. We think that there actually, as we've talked about, why can't we just have equality for all? Part of the reason people resist that notion is, well, I'm really afraid of being equal. Yes. Then wouldn't I not be special? I I might be losing my place, afraid of being the same. Mm -hmm. We have this real challenge with the word the same. Yes. And equal. Right. Different things. (laughs) Different things. You have uniqueness all over the place with equality. But people lots of times, well, that that just means everybody's the the same. same. And I don't want to be the same. Right. There's a wonderful line from a play, The Fantastics. The lead female character in there at one point says, please, God, please don't let me be normal. <laughs> yeah. And we don't want we to. We don't want to be normal. We don't want to be normal. We, we want to be special. special. We want to be unique. And we are. And we can be special and equal. Yes. Yeah. There's also another phrase from a, a Will Ferrell comedy that we love, Lee. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of a big deal. <laughs> 
And again, we want to Anchorman Ron Burgundy. We we all want to feel like, like we're kind deal. of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That doesn't mean that other people aren't also big deals big in deal. their own way. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. In fact, that's kind of an interesting way to think about the equalist movement. Uh-huh. What if we were all our own big deals? Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and as yeah. we've alluded to before with Ricky Bobby, we're all tied for first. That's right. I'm number one. <laughs> you are too. Yes. Yeah. So let's transition now to a discussion of a life tool for the journey. It's our ongoing community of caring. Our ongoing community of caring. In terms of where one tends to stand on large social and political issues, well, whether your orientation is toward asking selfish questions of, well, what about me? How does this affect me? or the selfless question of, well, what about them? What about others? Uh, Our stance on those will determine where we are on issues of that type. Yeah, I I think, Lee, it's very, very normal when an issue comes up to ask, what about me? And that's probably 99% of the time the first, we can't help it. Right. We are who we are. Yep. Yeah, and we, we ask that question. That's cool. That is all right. It's okay. To ask that. Yes. The issue gets to be whether or not we ask the, the second, second question, question. <laughs> of what about them? What about everybody else? And we would say the trick is to be sure that we ask that second question every time. Mm-hmm. And typically we want to lead with that answer, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And then maybe on the heels of, of looking at that and thinking of, of approaches that take care of the community and other people, we kind of go, okay, where does that leave us? Let's yeah. go back to the, what about me? Where does that leave us? Yeah. And usually we can be fine. Yeah. We can be fine. If, if the answer is right for the community, we'll be okay. Yeah. The secret sauce here is to flip the sequence of the way we think about those two questions. So we've been talking about success. We've been talking about desperation. We've been talking about the fear we may have about being equal. We've talked about, what about me? What about us? We kind of got a a thread going here. Well, we had a a life tool that we talked about that was about balance, kind of going back to that notion. And we had called it the orchestra of humanity. Mm -hmm. We're all in an orchestra. We all have an instrument to play. How do we do that together? And the question we wanted to ponder a little bit for a minute is, are there those who take joy in other people's joy? in this orchestra of humanity Mm -hmm. you know do we take joy in somebody else's playing or or do we have some of us who just can't take joy in somebody else's joy yeah you know that that doesn't that makes us feel bad or then we have to think about something that makes us joyful we thought one of the really interesting quotes that we encountered with somebody related to this concept of what gives you joy, you know, your own or somebody else's. Nikola Jokic, who was, has been two-time NBA MVP, mm-hmm. uh, the best basketball player in the world right now, I think most people would agree. Yes. And Denver Nuggets won the world championship here yes. in 2023. He got asked, and, and his playing style is, which makes him so great, is he's a great scorer, rebounder, and he's a great passer. passer. Great assist guy. And so he was asked uh, if he liked to score or have an assist more. And he said, I like to have an assist more because when you score, one person is happy. And when you have an assist, two people are happy. Wow. That's so awesome. That's like childhood wisdom. Lee and I go, stop. Okay. 
if all of us just went and did that, yeah, if we all had that attitude about life, there would be no need for this Pictures Out There <laughs> podcast series or any number of other things. If we all did that, then we can take our toys and go home. <laughs> so if I enjoy my own success, that's good for me. But if I also enjoy your success, now two people ah. are happy. And the question is, do we enjoy other people's success? Yeah. Yeah. We had an interesting situation, Lee, that garnered worldwide attention recently with a cave rescue in Thailand of 12 boys and their coach. And it was very interesting to me where essentially in this rescue, the whole world was aware of this and watching this yeah. and the rescue yeah. itself was miraculous, miraculous that it happened. It did not look good for a long time. And that, that the question I was left with sometime after that was how long ago was it that we wouldn't have heard about that whole incident here in the United States Yes, and media mm -hmm. and the ability to know what's going on in all parts of the world has been increased so dramatically beyond just the, the wonder of that event and the happiness that those folks were all rescued. It was like, okay, we had a touch point of a, of a global community yes. there that some time ago wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. And how much richer are we that we now have this empathy and connection point to strangers that are across the world. That's the kind of thing that gives me hope mm -hmm. for the world is that our ability to connect and touch with one another and, and understand each other is so much greater now and yeah. just getting more so. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. On previous podcasts, we've shared our picture for a healthy climate. And we have a news story that relates to that previously articulated picture. The headline says... Judge rules in favor of Montana youths in a landmark climate decision. The lawyer who was representing the kids, the plaintiffs, said this is a monumental decision and the ruling could influence how judges handle similar cases in other states. So in the first ruling of its kind nationwide, this is from a news story by Kate Sillig, a Montana state court decided in favor of young people who alleged the state violated their right to a clean and healthful environment. Hmm. The court determined that a provision in the Montana Environmental Policy Act has harmed the state's environment and the young plaintiffs by preventing Montana from considering climate impacts of energy projects. The provision is accordingly unconstitutional, according to the Montana court. This court victory, one of the strongest decisions on climate change ever issued by any court, could energize the environmental movement and usher in a wave of cases aimed at advancing action on climate change. The ruling, which invalidates the provision blocking climate considerations, also represents a rare victory for climate activists. In this case, it was 16 young Montanans ranging in age from 5 up to 22. They brought the nation's first constitutional and first youth-led climate lawsuit to go to trial. Mm. These youths are elated by the decision. Who wouldn't be? Yep. Though the cumulative number of climate cases around the world has more than doubled in the past five years, youth-led lawsuits in the United States have always faced an uphill battle. But the number of successes internationally is growing as is the diversity of those taking cases to court, including a rise in legal action brought by youth, by women's groups, by local communities, and by indigenous peoples. Of the cases that have been decided, more than half have had outcomes favorable to climate action. 
So international, that's amazing. So internationally, these kinds of cases are succeeding. Yes. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Despite the track record of dismissals for youth-led climate cases in the U.S. Oh, kids, what do you know? What do you kids know? What do you know? Now, you're just going to have to live on this damn planet for the rest of your lives. Why should you care? We're, we're running it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Experts said the Montana youths had an advantage in the state's constitution, which guarantees a right to a clean and healthful environment. Oh, that pesky constitution again. Boy, here we go. Ah. Having to hold everything up against it. Montana is a major coal producer, and it's home to the largest coal reserves in the country. The plaintiff's attorneys, those representing the kids, said the state has never denied a permit for a fossil fuel project. Never. Never. Denied a permit for any kind of fossil fuel project. Never. Wow. A 22-year-old plaintiff named Ricky Held, for whom the lawsuit is named, detailed how extreme weather has hurt her family's ranch. Held testified that a favorable judgment would make her more hopeful for the future. Quote, I know that climate change is a global issue, but Montana has to take responsibility for our part in that. Whoa, whoa, said. whoa. Take responsibility for, for our, our part. part, not for the entire world's part. How many times have we said, just, just do your part. part? And she is saying, we have to take responsibility when we don't do that. Yes. Huh. We just think we, we're reading this and talking about it. We think it's a huge story. Michael Gerard, the founder of Columbia's Sabin Center, said, everyone expected them to put on a more vigorous defense. And they may have concluded that the underlying science of climate change was so strong that they didn't want to contest it. The state's defense was unsuccessful. Judge Kathy Seeley determined that the state's emissions could be fairly traced to the legal provision blocking Montana from reviewing the climate impacts of energy projects. She further wrote that the state's emissions and climate change have caused harm to the environment and the youth plaintiffs. Quote, every additional ton of GHG emissions exacerbates plaintiffs' injuries and risks locking in irreversible climate injuries, she wrote in the ruling. If this decision stands, it will cause great economic harm to the state of Montana, said Alan Olson. I don't know that Alan's voice is actually like that. I'm sure it is, but because I'm, as executive director of the Montana Petroleum Association. Yes. yes yeah, I, it probably is like that, and probably in a very authoritative tone that's about what are these kids doing, who do they think they are. Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep, absolutely. So it remains to be seen whether the Montana Supreme Court will uphold uh, Seeley's findings, the lower court judge. Experts said the favorable verdict for the youths could influence how judges approach similar cases in other states and prompt them to apply judicial courage Ah, hmm. in addressing climate change. Judicial courage. Mm -hmm. The nonprofit law firm, Our Children's Trust, which represented the plaintiffs, has taken legal action on behalf of youths in all 50 states. And it has cases pending in four other states. Phil Gregory, an attorney for the plaintiffs, said the court's verdict could empower youths everywhere to take to the courts to secure their futures. Quote, there are political decisions being made without regard to the best scientific evidence and the effects they will have on our youngest generations. This is a monumental decision. Those of you in the future who are listening to this, this has to be one of the issues that you all 
really do shake your head about where it's kind of like we've, we've been living on fossil fuels for a relatively small amount of time as a species and this addiction we got to it when it was clearly so harmful and there are now options to move from that. Why didn't you do it? Why didn't you do it sooner? Mm-hmm. And we're frustrated here in the present yes. with this too. Yes. And so just know that there are people living here now, a lot of people who are going, this is nuts. And so those of you in the future, just know we were thinking this that's right, right now, you know, yep. and that's our answer for you. And I think in all of these things that we've been writing or have been talking about, the notion of creation and what creation is about has become something that's really a, a heightened learning, I guess I would say, for us. Mm-hmm. Creation really, when we have gone and explored it even more, is really all about creating diversity and unique life forms. Our world is all about creating diversity and unique life forms. Our world supports diversity. Our world supports unique creation and diversity in nature, in plants, in animals, and in human beings. Creation is a diversity machine. Yes. To be against diversity and inclusion in a human context is to be against creation Creation itself. itself. To be against the process of creation, including the process of our human creation. To be against recognizing and nurturing the importance of diversity and inclusion in our human world is to put yourself above the very forces that created our universe and our world and that continue to evolve it every day. That type of arrogance unchecked is inevitably going to lead to disaster. That arrogance that seeks to put somebody above creation's unstoppable urge toward diversity and uniqueness, and it must be resisted, fought, and defeated. And it will be defeated. Whether the, I might add, the human race is the active agent of that defeat or not. Not. Earth can take care of itself. Creation can take care of itself. Why don't we get in harmony with that instead of resistance to it? Yeah. 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 So just a thought. So let's turn our attention now to a story. A disturbing story. A very disturbing story. Yes, let's preface it with that. This regards a black fisherman in Georgia getting harassed for fishing in his own neighborhood. Ah. So three times in one single day, Anthony Gibson was asked by a white person what he was doing sitting by a pond in his neighborhood in the community of Noonan, Georgia. Gibson said in a July 11 TikTok post, quote, another white person came and bothered me while I'm fishing. Gibson is a black man and he documents his experiences for fishing for catfish, carp, crappies, and other fish on the social platform TikTok. And he said he has started videotaping every time one of the white residents in his development, which consists of about 200 homes, it's called Springwater Plantation. Unfortunate name. Name. Uh, every time one of these white residents confronts him, they ask for his address and question whether he should be there. Gibson told NBC News that he soon learned he wasn't the only black resident of the community to be confronted by white neighbors. In his video on TikTok, Gibson sat with two black female friends when a white resident named Tanya Petty told him that the lake was for, quote, residents only and that she would take down his license plate to report him to local authorities Mm. by the end of that day gibson said he and his friends were approached a total of four times by residents 
asking him if he lived in the community. I literally wanted people to see what people like me have to go through when they live in a nice neighborhood, Gibson told NBC News, and people don't think that they live there. Well, shortly after his video was posted, Gibson said he learned online that Petty had been fired from her job as a massage therapist at Sea Glass Therapy, which is an emotional wellness center. An emotional, an emotional wellness, wellness center. center. Interesting. The business's owner declined to comment to NBC News on the matter, and the wellness center announced that Petty had been fired on a since-deleted social media post. Gibson, who's an actor, said the harassment began about a year ago. He was sitting at the lake with a friend who is white, and nearby were two white men whom he didn't know. One of the men approached Gibson and asked him to provide his address. When Gibson declined, the man called the police. Although he remained calm, Gibson said he, quote, probably was the most upset I've ever been. I'm telling the police, why are you bothering me? I said, I can't believe that you're bothering me this much, and all I'm doing is fishing. I'm not smoking. I'm not drinking. I'm not partying. I'm not making loud noise. I'm not loitering. But you asked me all of these questions. Two other white men fishing nearby told Gibson that they had been fishing at the pond for seven years and had never been questioned, even though they didn't live in the community. Since then, Gibson started capturing all incidents on camera. According to the Springwater Plantation's Homeowners Association, fishing with a permit is allowed at the private community's lake. Gibson frequently fishes for food and said he has a permit to fish in the state of Georgia. Gibson said, literally every single time I went fishing, someone bothered me. And he added that young white community members and other black residents usually leave him alone. Quote, that's the only reason why I turned the camera on. Oh, so young white community members. And other black residents leave, leave him alone. alone. Hmm. Other black residents have told Gibson about the harassment they have faced there. A retired Army veteran told Gibson that a bag of dog feces was left at his front door after he asked a white woman to stop letting her dog poop in his yard. On TikTok, Gibson posted other black neighbors talking about being accosted in their own community, including one man who has lived in that community since 2001, more than 20 years, and said that he's, quote, always been messed with. In another TikTok post, Gibson and another man said that residents also questioned if he lived in the development while fishing. Gibson's case, he said, neighbors confront him often and resort to calling the police. He surmises that if he wasn't recording the incidents, that they could have been worse. He tries to remain calm when interacting with police officers because when you call the police on a black man, there's already some suspicion. Gibson moved to the community in 2021 with family members. As he and his family searched for a home, one of his requirements was being able to fish nearby. While Gibson said he's personally unintimidated, the confrontations make him concerned for the safety of his family, including his nephew, who at age 10 is around the same age Gibson was when his uncle taught him how to fish. Quote, I want to go fishing with him. Gibson said about his nephew, who frequently visits and also loves to fish. I want him to go out and go fishing and feel comfortable. He's small. He's young. I don't want someone to come there and bother him like that. 
Well, after his confrontation with Petty, the woman who worked at the Emotional Wellness Center, after that went viral, Gibson said Thomas Drolet, president of the Springwater Plantation's board of directors, asked him to release another video saying the encounter had been a misunderstanding. You gotta be kidding me. The reason cited by the member of the board of directors, Gibson said, was that Petty needed her job back to pay her, quote, big mortgage. Gibson, we live in the same neighborhood. I'm not going to help her get her job back. She still hasn't apologized to me, and I haven't seen her since. Well, when the president of the HOA described Springwater Plantation as a, quote, racially diversified community, he admitted that, quote, an element of racism in which we view other people is present there. He also said the community views the incident as an internal issue that we need to solve ourselves. Since posting his videos, Gibson said he received an apology from one white resident who had confronted him and who said that the majority of the calls the community makes to the police are on black people. Gibson said he plans to buy a GoPro camera so he can keep recording his interactions at the lake. He also said the confrontations have made him feel extremely uncomfortable living in the neighborhood to the point where he doesn't want to go fishing. I'm not afraid of anybody, he said, but I do want to get out of this house and go fishing and do any of that stuff around here anymore. Uh, hell to the no-no. Hell no to the no. In other words, no. He doesn't even want to do the things that he most enjoys. Isn't this just incredibly... Infuriating. Infuriating and sad. Yeah. Gibson said he received an apology from one white resident and who said that the majority of the calls the community makes to the police are on black people. It's like, well, you... You know what you're doing. Yeah, right. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Stop it. Yeah. The cues that get given out at words like plantation and things like that in names, that those things matter. And the president of the board of directors saying this is an internal issue. An internal. And, in and, other words, we have a fortress of privilege that we intend to protect here. Yes. And, and you need to you need to apologize. You yeah. need to make a video that basically says this is a misunderstanding, misunderstanding. And you need to go fix the fact that this person lost their job. This white person lost their job. Yeah. It's infuriating. Yeah. The white person lost their job because of you, black man. Yeah. <laughs> These things happen all, all the, the time. time. And they are a part of privilege. And they are uh, just... Okay. <laughs> So we've talked about the fact one of the things that struck me in the last thing that we the story we just shared was it sounded like the young white people nobody had and they had not been accosted as all older right. white people it sounds like yeah. in terms of who had bothered these folks correct and so we we came across something we it's a YouTube thing we can't share it but if you want to go out and and pull down YouTube and it's called a retirement home for American politicians who won't retire. And I'm it's, telling you right now, agnostic of which side of the political fence you may be on, it's absolutely hilarious. The Ampo Retirement Home. And so, you know, they're, they're again, one of these balanced things that we'll talk about is age. And uh, Lee and I are in our 60s right now. Yes. You know, so some people would, you know, have a reflection on us based on that age. You know, so the notion of ageism... Uh, is not good. You don't want to have ageism. At the same time, there are different stages of life. 
you know, and so one of the points that this video is making is that, you know, particularly if you have been in a role or you've been in power, you have enjoyed that. Yes. You know, you've enjoyed the success of that. You, you enjoy how it feels. And there's always, always going to be a time when you need to step down. Share that power, pass Share that, that power. torch. Share that power. You hopefully, before you get to be 100, have mentored people, yes. have taught people, have passed right. on your experience to certainly younger people, and you've passed that on. And we do have a major issue politically in our country, and again, it's, it's both parties, both mm -hmm. political parties, where we have people that are not recognizing that they need to pass the baton to the next generation. Yeah, which is a tacit admission that they have done a poor job of preparing their successors. Or nobody could do this as well as yeah. me. And it's like, yeah, they could. Yeah, which links back to the conversation we were having previously in this podcast about I'm successful. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we came across a great quote from George Bernard Shaw, and it's about help and passing the baton after you run your leg of the relay race. And he said, this is the true joy in life. I'll repeat that. This is the true joy in life. Being used for a purpose recognized by yourself as a mighty one. Being a force of nature instead of a feverish, selfish, little clod of ailments and grievances complaining that the world will not devote itself to making you happy. I am of the opinion that my life belongs to the whole community, and as long as I live, it is my privilege to do for it what I can. It is a sort of splendid torch which I have got hold of for the moment, and I want to make it burn as brightly as possible before handing it on to future generations. We'll just let that sit for a moment. And let's close with a moment of optimism, momentum, and gratitude. We are so grateful both for the joy and the pain and the change that real loving and real living brings. Here's a story about Franz Kafka, celebrated author. At age 40, he never married and had no children. He was walking through a park one day in Berlin, Germany, when he met a girl who was crying because she had lost her favorite doll. She and Kafka searched for the doll unsuccessfully, and they didn't find it. Kafka told her to meet him there the next day, and they would come back to look for the doll. Well, the next day, when they had not yet found it, Kafka gave the girl a letter, quote, written by the doll, saying, please don't cry. I took a trip to see the world. I will write to you about my adventures. Thus began a story which continued until the end of Kafka's life. During their meetings, Kafka read the letters of the doll, carefully written with adventures and conversations that the girl found adorable. Finally, Kafka brought back the doll. He actually bought a new one that had returned to Berlin. Well, that doesn't look like my doll at all, said the girl. Well, Kafka handed her another letter in which the doll wrote, My travels have changed me. The little girl hugged the new doll and brought the doll with her to her happy home. A year later, Kafka died. Many years later, the now adult girl found a letter inside the doll. In the tiny letter signed by Kafka, it was written, Everything you love will probably be lost, but in the end, 
Love will return in another way. Embrace change. It's inevitable for our growth. Together we can shift pain into wonder and love, but it is up to us to consciously and intentionally create that connection. And may we always accept the challenge of fully loving for ourselves and for future generations. So in closing, what are your ideals? What are your pictures? What are your actions to take? And what is your influence to use? Thanks so much for joining us. Go make your pictures a reality. Thanks for joining us today. As always, feel free to explore more about Pictures Out There at picturesoutthere.com and major social media sites. We hope you have the day of your dreams, the day of your pictures.